You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. As a follow-up to last week's episode featuring my interview with General Yu, I invited Taipei Times columnist Michael Turton back on to Talking Taiwan to talk about the 1992 consensus, a term that General Yu mentioned and in the lead-up to Taiwan's presidential election in January. The Kuomintang presidential candidate, Hoyo Yi, has also brought it up. Welcome back to the podcast, Michael. It's great to be here again. Yeah, it's always so much fun having you on. And I know that you're an article about the 1992 consensus. Ah. And, uh, you know, this issue keeps popping up every so often. So I thought we could do a little episode and talk about what exactly is this? Well, according to the KMT, the 1992 consensus was something that the KMT and the PRC representatives reached in a meeting in Hong Kong in 1992. So the KMT says that two sides agreed to disagree, basically, that each side would agree that Taiwan was part of China, but they would disagree on what China Taiwan was part of. And so that's the position that the KMT has presented to the public since the 2000 election when it became an issue. And I'll get to why that became an issue in the 2000 election in a second. But of course, there was no consensus. There was no 1992 consensus. There was no consensus reached at the meeting. And uh, what had happened was in 1991, they had some meetings. And then in 1992, they decided to meet to talk about, of all things, cross-strait documentation, basically. How do we handle, say, I need something notarized for my, for some piece of paper that I need in Taiwan? How do I notarize it in China? How do we recognize this on both sides? Very basic stuff. And Chinese insisted, of course, that everything was going to be one China PRC. There is no ROC. There's no China on this side. The only people claiming that there's China on this side are the KMT, basically. And the ruling party right now, the DPP, the Mingyindang, when the Democratic Progressive Party, when they need to keep China off their back. So the PRC representatives at the Hong Kong meeting in 1992 demanded that that Guomindang representatives, that's the Chinese National Party, representatives make noise saying that Taiwan accept the one China principle of the People's Republic of China. And under that principle, Taiwan is part of China. And of course, the KMT representatives wouldn't accept this because then there's no ROC, there's no republic. So they rejected that. And there's some discussion. There was a really good piece in United Daily News a few years ago by one of the people who was there. And there was some discussion and eventually they decided to make verbal representations. But the People's Republic of China, this is important, never agreed to anything that the KMT representative wanted. Never agreed to any interpretations or codicils or anything. Just Taiwan is part of China and that China is the People's Republic of China. That's always been their position. It's never varied. So there's a really famous video of former President Mind Chill when he was, uh, I think he was Minister for Justice at that time. And he was talking to the press about how horrible the People's Republic of China was for not accepting any of these rational KMT proposals and on and on and on. And then later he would, well, that when he was president, what, 15 years later, and then he would say, oh, yeah, yeah, we had an agreement. So what happened was as the 1990s went on, from 1992, then there was a flurry of faxes after this. And, uh, and that was in November of 1992. And then as the 1990s wore on, 
this term is never used. The KMT and the PRC representatives from Taiwan and from the People's Republic of China met throughout the 1990s until they stopped in 1999 when Li Donghui made his special state-to-state announcement, right? Relations between the People's Republic of China and the Republic of China are special state-to-state relations. That's how he put it. And so then the PRC just cut him off. So during that whole period, this phrase, 1992 consensus, was never heard. If you do a diligent search of Google Analytics, you will find, I think it's in 1997, that the phrase first appears in the PRC, in the People's Republic of China. I guess I should clap my hands and point up like this, <laughs> in the People's Republic of China. <laughs> but at the end of the 1990s, it starts appearing in English in a couple of publications. And then suddenly in 2000, it becomes super popular because KMT was facing, mm-hmm. a, and the Kuomintang was facing a problem, right? There was a right. three-way election between Chen Suivian, the Democratic Progressive Party candidate, James Sung, who would set off as an independent, and would later found his own party, and Lian Chen, the KMT candidate who would eventually get just 24% of the vote. And Chen Suivian did look like he might win. Polling at that time, polling of the voters was really unreliable. And even in the internal poll, very unprofessional. But it was obvious that Chun had a shot. And so the KMT internally began groping around for some way to, to fence in Chun Swabian's foreign policy. And this is what they came up with. The 1992 consensus under which Taiwan accepts that it is part of China. And they wanted to put this on Chun Swabian to make sure that his foreign policy accepted that Taiwan was part of China. This was uh, Su Chi, who was basically an important figure in the KMT, was head of the National Security Council, I think, at one point, and, and several other uh, important bodies. This was his way of handling that situation, of having Sun Swabian becoming the president. Of course, Chun never accepted that, and uh, the DVP has never accepted that. So the whole, the whole thing of the 1992 consensus is that was, it's invented, or it's at least repositioned by the KMT to put a cage around a possible DPP foreign policy to make sure that it doesn't leave the KMT parameter of Taiwan being part of China. I think it's important to recognize that agreement, which never happened, was between the unelected parties of basically two authoritarian states. Mid 1992. People will tell you, but martial law was lifted in 1987. And you have to remember that the KMT then immediately passed a national security law that was martial law in all but name. When those people were in Hong Kong talking to the PRC, there were still pro-democracy dissidents in jail in Taiwan. I think Tanjir was released in 1993 and Shiming Da had just been released or maybe was about to be released. I can't remember. There were still people in jail and, and Taiwan was not a democracy. I mean, I was there at that time and people were still afraid to talk. And you can see the extent to which Taiwan became a democracy in the 1990s by the massive shift in voting patterns from the KMT to the DPP and also the shift that people underwent in their identities that they would publicly talk about. In 1991, you did not meet people who say they were Taiwan unless they knew you would. But by 1999, people were way more willing. They had developed some confidence that this democracy thing wasn't going to go away. So all these things happened in the 1990s, and the KMT could see, as had been known since the, since the 50s, right? I mean, there were a bunch of uh, 
there were a bunch of Western writers who said repeatedly throughout the 50s and 60s that if the Taiwanese got a real vote, they came to would be gone the next day. They wanted independence. And so it's always been known to the KMT that, that it was, it would become irrelevant. It would become marginalized if Taiwan became a democracy and that they were underestimated their ability to stay in power. But also, you know, that's what we've seen very slowly. The KMT is being marginalized. And now in this election, we have a third party candidate who's doing better than the KMT candidate in a very solid way, not like a brief fight. Mm-hmm as James Sung did. So the 1992 consensus starts appearing in 2000. So can you explain a little bit more about how they're trying to use that to cage Chen Zipin's uh, foreign policy? Well, they assumed that Chen would, would start talking about independence. I don't know if you can remember, but at that time, there were reports in the local media that the military would stage a coup if Chen declared independence. But of course, there was never any possibility of that. A lot of outsiders look at Taiwan and say, oh my God, it could declare independence. Anything could happen. It's nonsense. There's no mechanism by which anyone in Taiwan can stand up and say, okay, we're independent, whatever that means. There's no, in fact, the referendum law fans, right? You cannot vote on the national, you cannot have a referendum on the national uh, identity. And now it's time for a short break. Talking Taiwan is an independent and listener-supported podcast, and our two-person team is committed to producing meaningful content for you. We just started publishing our interviews on YouTube so that more people can discover us, and we've already heard from our listeners that it's easier for them to watch and listen to Talking Taiwan on YouTube. We could always use additional support as we continue to make improvements like this. In fact, any donations that you make right now will be doubled as a part of our matching donor campaign. We are so close to our goal. To make a contribution to Talking Taiwan, you can go find us on GoFundMe.com or visit our website at TalkingTaiwan forward slash support. Now, back to our episode. So anyway... What the KMT foresaw was that Chun would start pushing the boundaries of foreign policy as he did, and which was a good thing. And um, that's one of the things he doesn't get much credit for. But Taiwan has built on what Chen Suimian started. And they decided that by pushing this 1992 consensus, it could make Chen Suimian look more radical than he really was. I mean, Chen Suimian was a corporate lawyer. He was a marine lawyer. He's like the least radical kind of lawyer that he could be. And uh, he got famous defending the, the Kaohsiung hate defendants, right, in their public trial. He was a talker, like all, like a lot of lawyers. He was good with work. And he was good in public situation. And, and they were afraid, as he did, that he, he would push the envelope. So they wanted to keep Taiwan chained to the PRC, to the idea of one China. And I think for me, that is the moment when the KMT decided that it would become the PRC's hand in Taiwan politics, right? Because then they begin to enforce the PRC view, the attempt to enforce the PRC view that Taiwan is part of China. That's also the KMT view, but it's not the view of the people of Taiwan, of course. And it's not the view of Taiwan and international law right. and the policy of most. How, how do you power. think that, um, going back to what you said about Chen Zedman, how do you think that he pushed the boundaries in terms of like foreign policy when he was in office? Well, there was the UN entry. Remember the KMT, the KMT took 
Taiwan out of the UN. The UN didn't really boot us out. They changed the recognition from the ROC to the PRC, who was representing China. But it was Chiang Kai-shek who picked up his skirts and ran away in a huff after the UN decided to change the recognition. We could have stayed. And I think, uh, as I recall, George Bush, who was our UN ambassador, the Bush senior at the time, tried to broker a deal under which Taiwan would stay in in the same way that East Germany and West Germany were both in the UN. But Chiang Kai-shek wouldn't have it. But then it's interesting to reflect on that because they did stay and it would have been under Republic of China, so it wouldn't have been Taiwan. Yeah. No, it wouldn't have been Taiwan. It would have been Republic of China, but at least it would have been something. But that was one way that Chen Swabian did it. There was a lot of diplomacy, some of it not very clean. But, uh, you know, Chen made a couple of trips to the U.S. At one point, he flew out to the Spratly, you know, to reaffirm the ROC claim. No, he, he played the ROC game and he also nibbled around the edges. But Chen had a lot of problems. One was that the, the U.S., needed China. So they decided to suppress him. And you remember when Bush first came into power, he was like, we will defend Taiwan to the end. And then six years later, there was uh, there was an arms freeze. I don't know if you remember, at the end of the Bush administration, the second administration, it was basically an arms freeze. And they did that because they needed the PRC for whatever reason. Yeah, so this is that moment when they decided that they were going to start cooperating with the PRC you know, against the Taiwanese, that, that 1992 consensus. It had a long evolution, but that was the first manifestation of it. And then, of course, in 2005, after the Nian lost the election in 2004, he goes off to China, right? First, uh, one of the, there were two trips in 2005. One of the lower ranking KMT people went and then Nian went. And that was when they basically ratified their, that was when they kissed the ring. <laughs> <laughs> So I think uh, the problem for me as someone who has been watching the unfold for the last 20 years, for many years, uncritical acceptance of this in the international media and among academics, you can find famous academics saying, oh yeah, this happened. People who should have known better. And even though all of us were here, were writing on Taiwan outward, we're saying, no, this never happened. There was no 1992 consensus. This is a KMT game. Don't fall for it. And they did. And they would publish this without any caveats or criticism again and again and again. And everyone who did that owes Taiwan an apology in my view. Owes Taiwan's democracy an apology. And we had put up reams of evidence that the stuff that people have written, that, for example, in 2016 in the summer, the PRC sent around a circular to its own reporter saying, you cannot use the two interpretation. You cannot say this phrase in the Chinese media. Right. It, it sent down guidance saying how they were supposed mm. to handle this quote, 1992 consensus, unquote. So there was ample evidence out there. If anyone had looked and that this was simply a KMT game to keep the DPP case. And like it seems the interesting thing, another interesting thing about it is that it seems somehow the KMT presents this as the rational peace move, but it's of course widely rejected in time. For example, there was a Mac poll last year released in October. It was released in October of last year. It had 80% rejection of the 1992 consent. And there was a TPF poll just this year. The Taiwan Public Opinion Foundation released just this year after Ma Ying-jeou, former president Ma Ying-jeou of the Kuomintang, went to China. And it said the same thing. Look, 67% of people reject it, 22% support it. So the Taiwanese people themselves understand that this is nonsense. 
and they will not have any part of it. So when you're talking about people that wrote about it, they're saying that they agreed to disagree. That's that's what the premise of the consensus is? Yeah, right. that's right. what the premise is yeah. of, of that is, yeah. That's what they kept saying. Some of them described this as deaf diplomacy. All you had to do was look at what the PRC said. Right. But luckily, the last few years, one of the Thai administration's achievements actually is making that disappear. It disappeared from the media. So you don't, you don't see, it's the kind of achievement that you don't think about because something ceased to exist rather than came into existence. And right. so you don't see it, but it's there. It's notable. Right. It's notable by its absence. Can we go back to why you wrote this article that came up? Because the current KMT presidential candidate brought oh, it yes, up. Oh, yes, of course. Tried to revive it. Ah, ah, ah. That's right. Hoyo E, who's right now running third in the poll, and the news was leaked yesterday out of the KMT claiming that even KMT internal polling shows him running third. And they denied that, of course. But he's third in most polls. And one of the reasons he is is because he's come out calling for supporting this uh, 1992 consensus. So it's important to keep reiterating, this is an extreme position. This is a radical position, right? And Ho tried to modify it, saying he supported the 1992 consensus as long as it's compatible with the constitution of the Republic of China, which is, of course, the KMT interpretation. Anyway, it's another way of saying that. All of Ho's ideas, when you open them up and look at them, are old ideas. And this is one. He also discussed reviving the services pact. Right. He and uh, Ko Wencha, the second running candidate for the Tatma People's Party. So they're digging up these old ideas from the Mainjo and even before era. And these ideas had a stake put through them years ago. They are not going to get up and walk. So this is why we're actually talking about the 1992 consensus, because Ho Yili brought it up again. I think, um, you know, the mainstream position here is the, is the DPP position, which is Probably why Lai is going to win the election. We hope. So we got some news yesterday about the Taiwan People's Party. I don't know if you saw that. The mayor of Shiju was indicted for some kind of corruption. Apparently, she just didn't. She created a false employee. They accused her of and taking the money from it, taking its salary or something. So this is the kind of thing that the Taiwan People's Party doesn't need because it's running as a good well, governance party. So. As, as a longtime resident here who wants to see a democratic and independent Taiwan, this is actually a bad thing because it could help, as my friend Donovan and Courtney Donovan Smith, the longtime commentator here, I yes, see a yes. reporter. I, so he pointed out to me that this is bad because then the, it will help the KMT creep up a little. And what we want is we want a KMT that's smaller and starved so that the PRC can continue to hope it might someday come back. And we want a robust party to compete with the DPP so we don't get a corrupt one party complacent, you know, yeah. all the bad things that happen when one party's in power right, for a long right. time. We don't want to see that. Yeah. So unfortunately, all the parties, home and count can't is kind of a party. But uh, the TPP and the DPP have both internalized a lot of the KMT's work problems. And we need a party that's not going to do that. So I was really hoping that either the new power party or the TPP would turn out to be something different. Yeah. What can we say about the new power party? That they're not established enough. No, they mostly, a lot of their politicians have been absorbed back into the TPP. Oh, well, what can you do? Keep hoping. I've been speaking to Michael Turton about the 1992 consensus. We'll share a link on TalkingTaiwan.com 
to Michael's Taipei Times article about the Kuomintang presidential candidate Ho Yoi's support of the 1992 consensus. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.